Hebrews 3. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is, the, is faithful as the son over God's house. And we're his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in rebellion during the time of testing the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as he did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that we have freedom to worship you. We're grateful, Lord, that we can gather here on a Sunday morning without being afraid of being caught by the authorities. Lord, we are grateful for your love. We are grateful for your mercies. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you fill mouth with the Holy Spirit as he preaches this morning. I also pray that you prepare us to receive the message that you have for us. And above all, Lord, help us to apply what we've learned this morning. Help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen.
anyone notice that fuzzing sign? No. Uh, don't worry, I'll just go with this. Thanks, guys. Um, there's, there's seven of us currently do a, doing a marriage course on, online on Thursdays, and it's a, bringing a great time for all of us uh, to do that together. But there's a guy who is uh, a guy called Rob Parsons, who is um, the, one of the founders of a charity called Care for the Family, a Christian charity that work with, and for lots of years have worked with families, marriages, um, single people, effectively sharing God's love and truth in various ways to families and from grandparents to great-grandchildren. And, um, and he says, he, and he says in, in the marriage course, and I've heard him say before, uh, he says that in every marriage, it comes to a point where he, the spouses, whether they're both, both at the same time or different times, but in every marriage, it comes to a point where the persons or per people fall out of love with one another. In every marriage, it comes to a point where either it happens at the same time or individual times, but spouses fall out of love with another. They would say, like, I don't love you right now. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't feel love. I don't feel in love with you. And he says, when that happens, three things happens in a marriage. Either they separate, so like, I don't love you anymore, I don't feel in love with you, like I've tried and this is not going on, so they separate, so they, they break up. Or they settle, so they're like, well, I don't love you, I don't feel in love with you, but like, let's, just, let's just ride this out, let's just ride it out together, let's just settle this. Or they fight, and not in a physical sense, but they fight for their marriage. They fight for their love. They, they recognize that they're out of it, but they, they need to fight for their marriage. They need to fight for it. And they do what they can then to, to make their marriage happen. Aware, aware that they're out of love, aware that they're in that stage, but they fight to keep their marriage alive. And, um, he, and he says it happens in every marriage. Uh, and for, for people to recognize that and to fight for one another. Like, don't, obviously, he says, like, don't separate, don't settle, but fight for one another. Fight for your love. Remember your love and fight for one another in that situation. And, uh, and, and it comes from a saying about don't harden your hearts. Like, it'll get to a stage in our marriages where we harden our hearts or, or maybe harden our hearts towards one another or hardened hearts um, in our friendships or in our families. And our hearts can become hard. Uh, and today, uh, in, in, this, in this chapter of Hebrews, is talking about hardening your heart with this stage where uh, these people who've known Jesus, but there's a warning about don't harden your hearts. Uh, and, and it talks about this, and so Hebrews chapter 3, if it's in, in, your, in your Bibles, then the verses are on screen, and Ivy's just read them out to us. But uh, verse 3, so these are some of the first six verses. Verse 3 uh, says this, it says, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. And it's funny how they point, pointed that out and, and made reference to the house. Because I don't know about you, but if I see uh, a, like a nice house or a big house or a house where I think, oh, that's lovely. Actually, I, do, I don't think about the builder. 
I just think, oh, that's a lovely house. Or that's a really, oh, yeah, I'd like to live there. Or, uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind uh, going in and have a look there. I rarely think about the builder. I don't think about the, the people who made out for the windows in. But uh, he's saying here, like, Moses was just almost the house. But Jesus is the builder of the house. And these, he's talking to these people who had high regard of Moses. Moses was the one who saw the burning bush and saw, spoke God to the burning bush. Moses is the one who went to Pharaoh and ten of these plagues came through Moses leading his people. Moses is the one who led the people through Egypt. Moses is the one who met with God in the mountain and brought the law, a lot of the Old Testament. And Moses is the one who was with his people for 40 years. So Moses, to, to Jews and to these Christian messianic uh, Jews, like Alan said this morning, Moses is one of, if not the most important character of the Old Testament. But what he's saying here is get, get perspective. When Moses was, was meeting the God in the burning bush, Jesus was the one speaking. When, when Moses was the one who was bringing these ten plagues, it wasn't in Moses' power, it was in God's power, and God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When Moses led the people through the Red Sea, it was Jesus who said, put your staff in the water. And when, when Moses was up in the mountain and the cloud of fire was there, that was Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father, surrounding him, speaking to him. And so they're saying, like, yeah, Moses was great, Moses was faithful, but he was imperfect, and Jesus was the one who was making it all happen. He was just obedient to Jesus, his voice. And then verse 6 then goes and said, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And we are his house if we indeed hold firmly. And in this chapter today, and in, in a lot of Hebrews, it talks about holding firmly, staying on to the end, don't walk away. But it says, we are his house. Almost because the boys uh, like Lego and Duplo, it's almost like spiritual Lego. Like it says by First Peter uh, 4, and First Peter 4 Verses, 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5 says this, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering acceptable uh, offering spiritual sacrifices accepted, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And he's saying now, because of the Holy Spirit, his church is not a building. This is like our house where we, where we have shelter, where we worship together. But the church is made up of human beings with his Holy Spirit, almost like a spiritual Lego. Lego is a, lot, is a lot cleaner and tidier than the church in one sense, isn't it? Like you have the square box, you come from all together. But this is, is, is church is to be a body, a house of me and you with the Holy Spirit inside us, working together, joining together, serving together. And this is it. But, and we are now his house, not the temple, not the, the tabernacle, not the, the, the big curtain or anything, but we are his house. Holy Spirit-filled people joining in together, serving together. But then also at the, at the verse 1, he says, but he calls them holy brothers and sisters. 
You who share the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, holy brothers and sisters. And we sang that song, didn't we? Holy forever. And the angels sing holy. And all creation sings holy. And when I, I love that song. And when I sing that song, when I think of holy, I just think of, of God in his holiness, of Jesus, of the Spirit. And I can sing that about God. But when it says holy brothers and sisters, I don't be you, but I don't often think of myself as holy. Like when we think of like, I'm fine with thinking of God as holy and Jesus is holy and his word is holy. But it says they're holy brothers and sisters. And I struggle with that because I know my own heart. I know my own ways. But it says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. And when we look at scripture and when we look at who we are in Christ, he regards us as holy. He says like we are co-heirs with Christ. That we can be brothers and sisters with Christ. And so that's why he's saying holy brothers and sisters. He's not saying you're perfect. He's not saying like you've got it all together. He's saying if you're in Christ, then he can call you holy. He can regard you as holy. But also, if you're not in Christ, then you're not holy. Like you're not part of his family. You're not part of his identity and he would love you to be that if, if you ask all of us in this room who are Christians who would say we are brothers and sisters in Christ and you say oh like well tell me how how are you holy <laughs> we've all struggled we'd all give you we'd all struggle to give you the answer we would just say it's just because of Jesus that's it it's just because of Jesus it's just because of Jesus Jesus loves me I've accepted him and he's died for me and I'm in him and he calls me holy even when I don't call myself that. He says I can be holy and that I will be with him. And so if you don't have that certainty, if you don't know him, like that's our prayer today is for you to come to know Jesus and for you to be part of this, this house, this family and so he can look at you and say you are holy, not unholy. He can say to you, you're part of my family, you're not part of someone who's not or you can be with me forever in glory and not separated eternally from me and so that's why we can say we are holy but then it goes on then to say these verses in verse 7 and and verse 8 it says do not harden your hearts as you as you did in the rebellion in the rebellion during the time of of testing in will in the wilderness and he's talking here he's making these people then think back to moses think back to the people think back to israel where these people have come from and think back to the 40 years of them they've just come through the the nile which is amazing but then they went into a time of rebellion and he says don't don't harden your hearts like in that time of testing and the time of testing came from their disobedience. Like the Lord wanted to take them into the, into the promised land, but they, they rebelled, and then they went into a time of testing. And I don't know about you, but lots of us think testing is negative, isn't it? When we think of testing, we think bad, negative, like, yeah, that's not good. But if, you're driving out, if you drive out to the car park today, like, you're going to want to be on the road with people who have passed their tests, aren't you? You're going to be on the road with people who've passed their test. If you've got a heart problem and you're going in for a big surgery, 
You want someone who's been through the exams, who's been through the tests, who's done the hard work. You don't want someone to do, oh, I'll just, I'm just going to have a go. Like, you want people who have been through it. You want people who have been through the t- testing is positive. Even though we might not like it, testing can be positive. And these people were in this rebellion out of their own heart. And God was, was patient with them and brought testing to change their character. They'd been in slavery for 400 years to change their character, to change their ways, to make them a people that he wanted. But their hearts rebelled. And then verse 10 says this, and, for, and so though for 40 years they saw what I did, that is why I was angry with them. For 40 years they saw what I did, they saw me, me leading them, me feeding them, me impatient with them, but that is why I was angry with them. And Psalm 103 says this, because lots of people just think God is an angry God, he's a distant God, he doesn't want anything to do, to do with his people, but he does have anger. Righteous anger is a good thing. Being angry can be part of being made in the image of God. And, and there is such thing as, as righteous anger. But this is what it says in Psalm 103. The, Lord's work, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made, and look at this, he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord, verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. It shows his slow to anger. He did this for 40 years. For 40 years he was patient with him, but he's slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him or respect him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So there are times where God acts in his anger. There are times when God, in his righteous anger, uh, influences things on the earth. And if we're honest, we probably want him to act more in his anger. We probably want him to act more in his anger right now in the things that we see in, in, the, in the news, in the wars, and the, the corruption. We want, to, want him to ask, act more in his anger. Yeah, he is in control. He knows his ways. And the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. And verse 12 says, So see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Verse 1, what did it start off with? It says, holy brothers and sisters. It says, holy brothers and sisters, who we are in Christ. But look at verse 12. So brothers and sisters, he's talking about the same people. Holy brothers and sisters, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. People will have different theologies. People will have different beliefs. Some people will believe that once you are saved, you're always saved, and nothing can ever change that. Other people would say, you, once you're saved, you can lose your salvation, or you can uh, walk away from it. 
But the Hebrew writing here is, is, is quite, it's just, a, it's just a challenge, isn't it? So like, see, he's talking about holy brothers and sisters. See to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. He's saying, like, don't walk away. Like, don't just think, like, oh, you're, you're a child of God, just like you were a child of Abraham. Like, Jesus has done it. You, you're a brother and sister in Christ, but don't walk away. I was speaking to someone here um, last week, and he said he went up with friends, about eight of them, uh, went up for a meal together, and for 20 or 30 years, they served together in church together and, and with the youth group. And now, as they made together 20 or 30 years on, out of eight of them, only two of them are still part of the church. Only two of them are still walking with Jesus and how that hurts his heart and, and he prays for them. But we've all got people like that, haven't we? We all know people like that. And, and our heart and our prayer is for them. And, and we almost wanted to read this right now, isn't it? Like, and, and I'm sure they were in the church where they probably heard sermons like this. Like, don't harden your hearts. Don't turn away from the living God like those people did. Brothers and sisters, don't harden your hearts. And the final verse is, says this, and verse 16 says, Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not the ones Moses led out of Egypt? And he's talking here about the people, about how, they, yes, they were the people of Israel, but who were they who heard and rebelled? Were, they, were not all those the ones Moses led out of Egypt? And it made me think about these people who had done, they'd literally taken out the Egyptians, a lot of, God had taken out a lot of the Egyptians who had had these people in slavery for 400 years. They went to the Red Sea, uh, and then they went through it, and a lot of the Egyptians, again, were drowned in the water. And now they were over. They were freed people. They were, they were freed people about to go into the promised land. And then uh, Exodus 32 happens. And this is where it says in Exodus 32, they would just come over and Moses was in the mountain speaking to God, almost saying, what's next? Like, this is what's going on next. And as Moses is in the, in, in the mountain with God, the people, they, they, they make a golden calf and they worship this golden calf. And they worship the golden calf that they had literally just made out of their jewellery and said, this calf was the one who got us through the sea. <laughs> like, this is the one, this is the God that's just got us through the sea, the one they've just made. Uh, and as Moses is, is up in the mountain, unaware of this what's going on. Obviously, God, God sees what's going on, and he says this um, in, verse, in Exodus 32, verse 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out, out of Egypt. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? To say that. And then, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. 
Now leave me alone so my anger may burn against them and I may destroy them all. Then I will make you into a great nation. He's, he's, he's basically saying, look Moses, I'm going to wipe these ones out and then we'll start again. We'll start afresh. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. And the Lord relented, and then another 40 years happened. But it made me think, like, I wonder what the Egyptians thought of the people of Israel. Like, I wonder what the enemy thought of the people of Israel. They've just been freed. They've just kind of crippled Egypt, their enemies, not just in economy, but with their food, with the... Uh, the healthcare system in that sense and, and the power, it had all been changed. And yeah, I wonder if the Egyptians found out they were in the desert, I wonder if they'd be laughing, like the enemy laughing, thinking, look at their disobedience, look at where their disobedience has got them, like laughing at where they are. And just thinking, like almost like a, for us to stick our two feet in the ground and say like, don't let the enemy win over your life. Like, don't let the enemy laugh at you. Don't, like, don't let the enemy kind of try and steal, kill, and destroy. John 10, 10 says, Jesus says that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. If you've got the Spirit of God in you, the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Whether, that, whether that's your marriage, whether that's your spiritual hope, whether that's your walk with Jesus, whether that's your family life, the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, but I have come to give life and life in its fullness. And verse 14 says, we have come to share in Christ if we indeed hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Again, there's a warning about holding on to the end, about don't walk away, about if we were there from the start to the finish. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. And I wrote something there on verse 14, and you might think I've spelt it wrong, midlife crisis. But I don't know if, if anyone else has termed this, I'm not sure. But I think there's something that exists called a mid-faith crisis. And um, sadly, a lot of um, the, the studies out there that sadly, a lot of uh, divorce actually happens early on in, in marriage, but also another big chunk of when divorce happens is when kids grow up and they leave the house. So the, the kids have grown up, they've gone off to uni, there's been, there's been difficulties in the marriage, or they've been set in for a bit, and then like the kids leave, and then it's like, right, we've been holding it together for the kids, they're no longer here, like, let's call it a day. And sadly, a lot of divorce ha happens then when the kids are out. And these people have been married for, say, 20, 30 years, but they've got to that point. We've been holding it together, right, the kids are gone, like, let's end. 
Uh, and there's such thing in the church for people almost between the, not in the ageist way, but maybe between the ages of 40 to 60. And um, it's, it's kind of like a mid-faith crisis. They've been in the church for a long time. They've been involved in, 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 in serving. And then maybe they've got family. Maybe they've had kids and they've been busy. And, it's, and uh, the busyness has taken over and they've served. And then the kids have gone. And then in this new place in their, in their marriage, but also a new place in church. And it's almost like a mid-faith crisis. It's like kind of looking and thinking, oh, flip. The busyness kind of kept it together and kind of uh, I rode along with it, but now I'm in this new place. And for some people, like, I don't really know what I believe. I don't really know if this is true. I don't really know, like, if this is for me anymore. Uh, and and it's the, it, there's one word that's been called, it's called, be called deconstruction, where people have then deconstructed their faith and sadly, many people have deconstructed their faith in this period and just thought, like, oh, it's just all, actually, this is not true. Like, this is rubbish and just, yeah, I don't think this is all worthwhile. And so they've walked away. But if you are in that place, like, don't be afraid because deconstruction can be really good. It can be a real positive time. It can be a time where you ask, ask really tough questions, where you find like, yeah, even though you're in a difficult situation where you can really work things together, you can share with people in a different way, you can help people in a different way. And other, and other people, if you're in that place, again, not in an ageist way, but if you're in that place, speak to people who have been through it. Speak, speak to people who have been in that and they've come through the other end. And how did they find it? What did they do? What, how did they battle that? and work those through things. Don't suffer in silence. Recognize it. Like it happens. Like it does happen. So don't think you're the only one. But recognize it. And just like now, sadly, some marriages can, can fail and walk away. But for some people, it can be a new life to their marriage. It really encourages me when I hear people, marriages, who have, their kids have gone away, and then they're going away um, on holiday together, or going for a date night together, or making sure they have time together, that really encourages me. That massively encourages me, saying, well, we're gonna still work for this, we're gonna work for that. I've told Becky that when the boys are 16, I either wanna to retire to the Bahamas, <laughs> or get a one bedroom flat down Cardiff Bay with no garden, and don't tell them the passcode for the, the door. That's kind of like, that's kind of where I, I'm at. But like this, this stage can be a difficult stage, but work through it. It can, be a bet, it can be a more fruitful stage. It'll look different, but it can be more fruitful. And also in your faith as well, if you're in a mid-faith crisis, like recognize that. Speak to people of a similar age, similar situation. They're probably in the same boat. Don't think you're on your own. Like we need each other in this time. But also speak to people who've been through that who know that, who can really help you with that, recognize that. Because it says there, like, hold firmly to Christ. If we indeed hold firmly to our conviction. Imagine the enemy. Like, imagine the, the smile the enemy gets, like, when he's like, ah, oh, they've been walking with 30 years with Jesus, but I've got them. Like, I've got them. I've taken them away. Like, I'm, I'm taking them out. Like, I'm, I'm whispering lies to them. Like the, like the apple of, of Adam and Eve, 
they know what the apple is and I've, I've showed them a different apple and I'm whispering lies to them and they're believing him. Don't let the enemy smile over your life. Don't let him take what you have sowed into for so many years. But please, if you're on that stage, don't suffer in silence. Speak to people. There's probably a room full of people, <laughs> if not have been through it or in it, or, or will happen to as well, so speak to one another. And finally, verse 13, and I Alan shared this earlier, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. Encourage one another. And that's what the word of God is, isn't it? Like, is to encourage us. Whether they're saying to people who don't feel holy, to say, well, actually, this is what the Bible says about you. The Bible says that you are precious, that you are a chosen possession. You might not feel that right now, but if you have the Spirit of God, if you're in Jesus, that's what the Word of God is saying. And so we want to encourage you with that. But also, we can encourage each other by saying, look, you're going off track. Like, you need to turn around. Like, be careful. You need to work things out. There's things in your life. And so we encourage each other by saying truth, don't we? And sometimes that truth is because you believe in a lie and you need to be encouraged, uplifted. And sometimes it's because we're walking away. And so the encouragement is saying, look, come on, like this isn't good for you. Like you need to come back. Like these things in your life. And so encourage with truth. And so that's our call as, as well today is how can we encourage each other with truth? Whether that's speaking tr words of truth to lift us up or speaking words of truth which might be a bit harder, but just to say, oh, look, I want you to see this through. You're my brother or sister. I want to help you and support you with this. And so, are you holy? If you don't know Jesus, then, then we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to show you what it looks like to follow him. We'd love you to be baptized next week. That would be great. Uh, and so... And then you can be seen as holy, even though you're not in, 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 in perfectness in that sense. But you can be seen as holy because of Jesus like we do. Like, don't turn away. If you're in that mid-faith crisis, don't let the enemy win over your life. Ask the tough questions. Like, do some really good deconstructing. Search. Ask why. Go even deeper into the Bible. But don't do it alone. Do it with people. Speak to people who've been there, who are in there, who've gone further. Like, work here. May this be a fruitful time in your, say, your marriage or your, also your faith. Work it through with that. And also encourage one another. Like, let's encourage each other with truth. Whether we lift people up who are feeling really down or whether we put an arm round up and say, look, like, we need to change. Like, Let's work this out. Let's encourage one another. The band are going to come up now and sing this song, For All Honour and Blessing and Power. Because verse 1 says, Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do now, is fix our eyes on Jesus for all honour and blessing and power. And if you would like any prayer for any of these issues, whether it's coming to faith or whether it's a difficult time in your faith or whether you just need to be encouraged or put an arm around your If you need prayer, then there's space down the front. But let's, if you're able to, let's stand and sing these songs.